It's so good to see you. This is typically the least attended Sunday out of all the Sundays of the year for most churches. So it's really good that you're here. I want to invite you, if you have the time, to come tonight to see our mission team at 6.30 and meet, uh, if you haven't met, Gary and Cindy Klein. They'll have a video presentation, and I need to tell you about this because I have to make an executive decision on the fly. Our equipment and wiring are not allowing us to be able to meet in the youth center to show you the video presentation they want to show. So we'll meet in here. We'll do desserts out there in the lobby. And if we overfill the lobby, we'll figure it out. So just we'll come to this building so that we can have a nice presentation at 6.30 tonight. Hope you don't mind. I'd like to read something out of the Psalms. Psalm 103, starting with verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. <clears throat> Not long ago, our small group and several small groups in the church did a study out of a, a book and video study called Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman. It feels close to me uh, that I've never met Kyle Eidelman. I knew his dad, still know his dad. His dad asked me to pray for his son while he was trying to make the transition from California to Louisville, and now he's the lead pastor there, which is very interesting. It was his first experience. Understand, this is the, in Southeast, Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, is the largest independent Christian church in the United States. And here's this young man who went there and was given this opportunity for the first time to speak on Resurrection Sunday knowing that he would speak to the largest crowd he had ever spoken to. He sat in an empty worship room, and understand the empty worship room seats 10,000. Have any of you been up to Overlake, seen their facility? Yeah. That, if, to give you an idea, that building seats in the main worship room 5,000. So if you can imagine this huge Facility. In fact, when they were building it so many years ago, in the newspaper in Louisville, they, they made a cartoon that was quite hilarious. Because the cartoon was, was focused on mainly one thing, but it changed in the middle. You see, they were trying to get a football franchise in Louisville at the time. And the city administrators were discussing where, where they would build and what they would do and so the cartoon shows the city officials arguing, and one of them says, well, if we get them, where are we going to put them? And the next drawing in the cartoon showed Bob Russell, the lead pastor at the time of Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, and he was shaking his finger going, don't even think about it. Because their facility so big, they thought you could play football in there. Kyle Ottoman sat in an empty room as he was thinking about preparing for the Resurrection Sunday message. And he thought, well, what will I say? 
to the largest crowd I've ever spoken to. What, what will I say? He grabbed a, and their, their setting is similar to Southeast, because when you, when you build a new church facility, there's lots of opinions, like color of the carpet, color of the walls, and what we're going to put in the room, and whether you should have chairs, stadium seating, or pews. Well, Overlake and Southeast did the same thing. They have all of it. They have uh, stadium seating and pews, and they can add chairs. He reached in one of the pews and grabbed a Bible that was tucked in the back of it and pulled it out and decided, you know, he was praying, God, lead me. You know, so he looked through the Bible and came across John 6 and, and saw that, oh, yes, this is the biggest crowd that Jesus would ever have. After he fed the 5,000 and then the, the crowds followed him, you know, he walked on water and, and, they, and he got in the boat with the disciples and the crowd still followed because he, they wanted some God food. He got on to the people. Instead of saying what, they, what, what, what would it take to get them to come back, he said things they didn't want to hear. And the crowd shrunk. He was convicted and thought, I don't need to preach what I think I need to say to get people to come back. I need to preach the truth whether they want to hear it or not. <clears throat> We're going to do a series that's coming up, Living on the Ragged Edge, and I'm leaning on Chuck Swindoll's book that's so titled, as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we launch into that next week, but I thought it might be appropriate on the typical last, least attended Sunday of the year that we talk about this, because I have a dedicated crowd in the room. So the title of the message today is The Opportunity Specialist. That's what we all want to be. And the text is from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. Contextually speaking, if you look it up in your Bibles, it might say a subtitle added by man in this context, walk in love. That's a good theme for life, isn't it? Walk in love. For Christians, that's a very good theme. So I'd like to back up to give you the context just a little bit in the text there in Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, a literal paraphrase of the Hebrew that's quoted in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 and 2, is this. Rise and shine. That's special to me. Uh, rise and shine was how I was greeted growing up as my dad woke me up. Rise and shine. He would say, and I would roll over and not want to. 
And he'd come back in, rise and shine, and he'd flip the light on. Oh, it made me so angry. And I was enabled to stay in bed a little bit longer. And as I got older and I went to college and I had to get myself out of bed, I had a hard time doing it. I am not naturally a morning person. Now I wake up at 4 o'clock just about every morning. But how did I get there? Well, I knew that I couldn't cut it if I couldn't get up and get myself up. So I put a light over my face. The alarm clock didn't work very well. I just attacked it. So I put a light over my face and I set a timer on it so that at just the right time, and I put a 100-watt light bulb in it right over my face. And I did not want that light bulb going off. I didn't want it shining in my face. So I learned to wake up before that light went off. I started getting myself up. My, my clock just started working like that. The literal Hebrew says, rise and shine from the darkness. Quoted as, I awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. He's not talking about waking up physically. He's not talking about being unconscious physically. It's talking about being unconscious spiritually. Really? Christians might have to be shaken awake. Somebody might have to flip a light on and say, hey, wake up. You are not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You betcha we have to be done, treated this way sometimes. And right here in Scripture, a quote that's combined two verses together in one, it says for us to awake so that Christ can shine on us. But I want to show you something. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, starting there with our text today, there, verse 17, down the line, you can see, has therefore. And you're supposed to ask the question, why? When you see the word therefore, what's the therefore? Therefore. So I thought I'd give you a heads up. We're going to come to a therefore, and we have to back up in our text to find out why. So we'll begin with verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not everybody does this. In Proverbs, we're described, we're given a description of the fool, that as the fool walks, the fool displays his folly. Maybe you've seen people like this. Maybe you've been a person like this. You're supposed to pay a careful attention to how you walk. Maybe you've been one who hasn't done this. Maybe it's because it was dark and you forgot how far that table stood out from the, in the middle of the living room. Or maybe you, you caught the, the, the leg of the bed with your toe. Maybe there's been times when you've walked and you haven't been as careful as you should have and you underestimated the height of the step up. I watched a man in his 90s step out into the street in a small rural town, and he fell. And you can imagine what happens. If you can imagine somebody falling, and his, his cap flew off out into the street. He fell in the street, down sideways. And, of course, where my mind went was, he's probably broken a hip, a few ribs, maybe his back, maybe his neck. I mean, he's in his 90s. And, and I didn't react the way I should have. My first response should have been to just race over there to him. But my first response was I had something going on inside of me. It felt like my heart sank into my stomach. Have you felt that feeling before? It's like, oh, no, what just happened? 
And, and I, didn't, I didn't react very fast. I just, I'm looking like, is he going to move? And he, he did move. He's in his 90s, so he didn't move quickly. But he moved as quick as he could, it looked like, because he got up very quickly, and he dusted himself off, and he looked around, picked his hat up, and made sure nobody was watching. He was fine. And I was relieved. And then I laughed. And we laughed together when we talked about it. Maybe you've been one who hasn't watched how you've walked spiritually. There are greater consequences than broken hips and broken ribs and broken necks and broken backs. Because when you break spiritually, it can have lasting effects. So he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Well, then it would behoove us to know God's word, wouldn't it? If, if we as Christians want to walk as wise, not as unwise, then we need to learn what wisdom is. And what, a, what better book can you find other than scripture? That doesn't make sense. And then it continues. Making the best use of the time. Some translations say making the most of the opportunities. That would be the same thing. Making the best use of the time. Don't waste time. Time and money, once you spend them, they're gone. You don't get them back. Have you noticed? If you can't manage time and money... Slips between your fingers. We're talking about time now. We've got to make the best use of the time by being wise in how we live, walking in love. And it says, it answers a question, why? Why would we want to make the best use of the time? Why would we want to look carefully how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time? Because the days are evil. Do you feel that? Does it feel like the days are evil? does to me. It, it seems like it just gets worse and worse as time goes on. I don't want to be a skeptic, but I can't help. If I listen to, read, or watch the news from any source, it just looks like we're becoming more corrupt in the world. But, but this was written in the first century. Paul was inspired by God, and he thought the same thing of his times. And then we arrive. Hold on just a minute. I want to make sure I'm where I am. Oh, the days are evil. Then we arrive at therefore. So what's the therefore, therefore? All of those things we just read. Therefore, do not be foolish. What does that mean? A friend of mine, a local pastor, did a study for his um, doctoral thesis, which is a book. You could get into a lot when you study about what a fool is, but there are essentially five types of fools in the Hebrew language, so I want to give that to you, and that's the Old Testament language. Simple, the silly, <laughs> the sensual, scorning, and the steadfast, the one that's always doing stupid things. And in the Greek, here's the interesting thing. The Greek word, the main Greek word for fool is, see if it sounds like an English word we use, moros. Yes, it does. 
And it's simply defined, if you want to look for yourself in Strong's concordance, it'll tell you three words. Dull, stupid, and foolish. Go a little further and you'll even see the definition empty-headed. When people do foolish things, it's as if they're not even utilizing the brain that God gave them. You ever feel like you do that? I've done, certainly done my share of foolish things. And I thank God for His grace. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's oftentimes in conflict with our will. Oftentimes we get it figured out in our own head. Whatever motivations motivate us, we start doing things on our own. We sometimes even enlist the help of other people to do things the way we want to do them without even considering the will of the Lord. But that's supposed to be our focus, the will of the Lord. Not our will, but His will. Have we heard this before? Did Jesus pray like that? Even as he, he was going through physical and emotional tormenting, he still wanted to do the will of the Father. Sometimes we go through a little drama of our own, and we want to do our will. But if we could be like Jesus, even when we're going through the stresses of life, the most difficult times, we still think about, what's the will of the Lord? May his will be done, not mine. And it's a good thing, because if Christ hadn't prayed that prayer and followed through, the cross wouldn't have happened. It continues in our text. And do not get drunk with wine. The Bible does not tell us that drinking alcohol is bad. But it does tell us that getting drunk is. And unfortunately, some of us who are Christian get confused. We think because the Bible, because the preacher even said it. The Bible doesn't say you can't drink. And some of us use that as a license to go ahead and drink in excess. We think we're justified because the Bible didn't say I can't do this. And then we get to a point where we don't think rationally because we drank so much, trying to escape from our own problems and find ourselves in trouble. The Bible does say do not get drunk. Do not get drunk with wine. Why? For that is debauchery. What, what is that? What does that mean? It means excessive indulgences in sensual pleasures. Overindulgence. That's debauchery. You can have overindulgence in all kinds of things. Some of us struggle with that sort of thing. So we've got this little thing as a church we've been doing. We're trying to honor God with our physical bodies, and many of us have engaged in trying to have better, healthy living so that we can lose weight. And we got a little sheet in the lobby, the, a couple of sheets, where we've been writing down, tracking our weight loss as a church. Hopefully, after this week, you'll have some more 
negatives, some pounds that you would subtract on your part of the chart. One of the things that I've done, hey, this might help you out, is uh, I've been taking these very salty smoked almonds. I got a huge bag of them. And I, when I know that I'm going to go somewhere where I have access to a restroom, I'll drink a bottle of water uh, along with taking a bite. I have trouble drinking enough water, so I, I drink, try to drink six bottles of water a day or equivalent to that. And I'll take one almond, chew it up, and now I'm thirsty. Chew it and swallow it, so I'll take a drink of water. And I, that's my determination. Only one instead of a handful, just one. And I tried to help someone out with that same theory. In fact, I gave them a whole bag of these salty smoked almonds and told them, this, this actually works. It's helped me. I'm, I've, I've lost 18 pounds so far doing this kind of thing and some other things. But the individual who didn't like smoke-covered almonds, at least in theory, says, those are so good. I said, are you doing that one almond at a time when you're in one bottle of water? No, I do handfuls, man. And I'm gaining You can, you can overindulge in sensual pleasures by eating. And me, if you're like me, I like, for, I like food. I want it to have a party in my mouth. You know what I mean? I want it to be good. So I tend to, yeah, so I tend to like the stuff that's not exactly best for you because the stuff that parties in your mouth usually isn't the best for you. So I struggle with that one. So You can... Have excessive indulgences, overindulgences in other things. But particularly, it's talking about don't get drunk with wine. That's a form of debauchery. In contrast, it says, but be filled with the Spirit. And some have taken this to an extreme. Maybe you've heard this, get drunk in the Spirit. Have you heard this? There's whole denominations and churches that say they're not denominations that really thrive on this, get drunk in the Spirit. You've heard this, right? Here's a meme somebody created. It's kind of funny. Is getting drunk in the Spirit worth an eternal hangover? And it says even more about the consequences God has for those who get overly sensual. There are, and what's unfortunate is oftentimes in some churches, even like ours, that try to, to teach the truth of the Bible and try to stick to that, there are times when we get caught up in sensual pleasures over what God's will is. Maybe you're one that's even gotten caught up in it in such a way that in your mind you think, if I don't have this elation, I don't, if I don't have this euphoria feeling when I leave church, then I haven't had church. And that's not what it's about. I think that sometimes when Jesus spoke, I think people didn't feel like they had a bounce in their step. Probably felt like they'd been hit over the head. Maybe that's why so many left after that moment that he had the biggest crowd he would probably ever have. And sometimes that's going to be church. Sometimes the Spirit will come into you in such a way that will, there'll be such conviction that you'll feel horrible for the decisions you've made and the consequences that have come for that. You might feel horrible because you've been, rather than self-evaluating, 
you're judging somebody else and you realize it. I've let something come into my mind. Maybe it's the voices of other people that are critical of somebody else. Or I've, I've just got a critical spirit and I can't shake it. So every time I see a particular person or think about a particular person, I just think horrible thoughts. And you don't even realize that you're becoming bitter. The spirit might be trying to move you, but you're not allowing because you're too focused on being critical of other people. If you struggle with this thought about this, the sensual stuff in the church, there's a really good book on this called Charismatic Chaos, written years ago by John F. MacArthur, Jr. I highly recommend it. It's very insightful. But this idea of getting drunk in the Spirit, the idea is just, you know, when you, when you, when you let the Spirit move you, you just lose control. You've heard this, right? If you'll turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we can learn something about the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Have you heard this before? Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Focus on this word. Look at this self-control. How could anybody believe they're preaching the truth if they're saying, let the Holy Spirit... Get you drunk and just lose control when a fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Somebody's got something wrong here. My Bible and your Bible doesn't say get drunk in the Spirit. This is what it says. And don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. In contrast, but be filled with the Spirit. See, one is... Losing all inhibitions, that's getting drunk with wine. And the other is letting God guide you with his spirit. That's not losing all inhibitions. I'm going to read the whole chunk there. And do not get drunk with the wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That's something that we do. Most churches, that's what they do. I used to have a little bit of a problem because being young and thinking, since I went to Bible college, I had it all figured out, you know. And I, I thought, how judgmental that we sing these songs. There are some songs that were written, especially uh, years ago, we had songs that we would sing, and they would be almost like sermons in a song. Instead of songs where you simply praise the Lord, they would be songs where it's actually instructional, where it's trying to compel us to live for the Lord. And I thought, why do you have to have a sermon in a song? Can't we just praise the Lord in a song? But actually, the Bible teaches that it's good to do this. We're supposed to address one another in psalms which we've done this morning already, and hymns, which we've done already, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. It's one of those things that we do when we're happy. If you ever come across somebody whistling or singing, they're usually in a pretty good mood. 
it was a crazy thing. One of the experiences that we had in Spain, uh, of course, your, your clock gets off a little bit when you travel like that. Stephanie and I uh, decided we were going to sleep in. Usually sleeping in for me is like sleep in till 6 or 7. But we slept in till 9 o'clock. And we're just lazying in bed, and, and you could hear outside the construction workers were starting. And one started singing, and another started harmonizing. Like, That's kind of cool. Happy people. I like being around happy people, don't you? And look how God describes his people here. When we're talking about walking in love, and we're talking about how we deal with one another in the church, we love each other. And so, in, in doing this, we address each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Notice this. This is more than just the audible singing we do. This is something that comes from within. Something inside of us that's deep. An emotion that we carry with us because the Spirit is moving us when we see other people in Christ. There was a time when someone was very unkind to me. Someone came to me and talked to me about it because they were unkind in front of other people to me. And someone came and talked to me about it and said, you know, I heard what was said and I'm going to talk to them. Oh, okay. And I said to them, just so you know, I'm okay. I'm, I'm pretty solid. I can handle it. I've had that happen many times before. I'm okay. She's not going to phase me. Well, I'm still going to talk to them because it was wrong. That's, that's good. That's great. But I'm okay. I'd rather it happen to me than somebody who can't handle it. But I was in denial. Because the reality was, after that moment, when I heard that person's voice, or when I saw them, something happened inside of me. And it... It made me, I, don't, I didn't have any thoughts that I was thinking through. There was just a feeling that was happening inside of me like, ugh, there's that mean person. I, I didn't think those words, but I, I felt that. Are you, are you tracking with me? Have you had that experience before? I, I had even done things to try to minister to this person in a very sacrificial way, but still there was that thing in me that's like, ugh, and it didn't even dawn on me until I hadn't, I heard that person talking, and someone asked me if I was okay shortly thereafter. What do you mean? Well, normally, when you see me, you, you greet me with enthusiasm, and you didn't. I had not greeted another person the way I normally do, because I hung on to some bitterness in me. When I heard that person's voice, when I saw that person's face, or when I thought of that person, even though I thought I was loving them, I prayed for them, I still clung to bitterness. I still hung on to an error in judgment that they made, and I, I judged their whole person. They're a mean person. They're not a nice person. They're cruel to other people because they were cruel to me. Those thoughts weren't all played out in my mind, but they were felt inside of my heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's, that's how I was 
guided in the wrong way. In the darkness, deep inside me, there was darkness. And an innocent person just wanted to know if I was okay. They were loving me because I didn't greet them in a way that I normally did. I let some bitterness alter the way I interacted with other people. And I can't help but think it interacted the way I fellowshiped in church. It impacted the way I treated others in other times. And so what was the solution? I prayed, and I asked God to forgive me. Because what I wasn't doing was what Christians should always be doing. Looking for the good in other people and building that up instead of focusing on the bad and highlighting that for the world to see or whatever, however far we go. So I decided to try to find good in this person and tell that person that I saw the good in that person. And I began to realize I need to do this with everybody. I could be clinging to some bitterness I don't even realize. And so there's times when I feel like some, some people have caught me. There are times when maybe your name comes up, or your, some, I think of you, or I see your face in my, in my mind, or I hear your voice. There are times when I am by myself and I think nobody can hear me, and then I will just say it. I'll just say it out loud. Ah, there's Linda. Love Linda. Yeah. There, there was one time I did it, and I got caught. And it was a guy named Kenny. He lives in the area. Haven't gotten to church yet, but I love Kenny. And I heard his voice, and there were people around, and I forgot. And I said, ah, Kenny, man, I love that guy. And this person said, you love Kenny? I had to explain. I'm sorry, you don't understand. So I had to explain the whole thing. But I got to tell you, it's life-changing when you let the Spirit move you. And when you begin to see other people with optimism instead of skepticism. And when you let go of bitterness. You know, you can forgive mean people. That doesn't mean you have to trust them. Those are two different things. You can forgive them and you can love them. It's okay. And sometimes, I don't know if you've ever come to this realization, but you do know that, that, that oftentimes it's the meanest people that need that kind of love. And I love this whole picture we've been painted that happy people, they just sing. They, they sing from their heart the way they interact with other people. That's who I want to be. And I got to tell you, by nature, I'm not that way. If you, if I see you, if you're up here in my place and you're talking and you've got a coffee spill on your shirt, I'm going to focus on that spill. If your hair is out of place, you got some food on your face, whatever cracks, wrinkles, spots, blemishes, I, I'm just like everybody else. That's what I notice. I've had to work very hard, and I'm still working on it on a regular basis, finding the good in other people and dwelling on that. I want to sing from my heart when I interact with you. I don't want to let 
darkness creep in anymore. And it continues, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I have a friend that lives a long ways from here. I met him here in this church. Lives a long ways away, but he's been going through so much stuff. And every now and then I'll message him, send him a text and say, hey, just want you to know I said another prayer for you. Hope everything's all right. As soon as I did that yesterday, I got a text back. When's a good time to call? Call me now. So he called me. And he said, I thank you for your prayers, but I am not feeling um, that there's anything good going on in my life right now. But I appreciate you continuing to pray. That might be you. You you might be one. You know what else? It might be someone who's sitting next to you in this building, or someone who didn't make it today, or the neighbor that you don't get to talk with very much anymore, or the family member you haven't seen in a while, or they could be people living right in your house or working with you on a daily basis. There are people around us who feel like, and they believe in God, but they feel like there's just nothing good going on right now. But you know what I learned? Even yesterday, I can be something good. I can tell them, you know, Romans 8.28 is still true. It's all going to work out. You'll see. You can give thanks even when there's difficult times going on. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the last part, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. Consider others better than ourselves. We submit to one another. We come underneath them. We're not better than them. No matter who we are, no matter what position we might be in, we are not better than them. Maybe you've been in a workplace environment where you're underneath a boss that thinks that the best way to lead is to make everyone feel like they're shoving them down all the time. Don't you just love that? Nobody likes a work environment like that. Nobody likes leadership like that except the one who's doing it. But the interesting thing is, it's ineffective. We're supposed to, as Christians, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're supposed to consider others better than us. If you haven't figured it out, God will teach you. I dare you to ask him. But you are not better than other people. You don't have it all figured out. The minute you think you do... Oh, he'll show you. you. You don't. You should desire for other people's successes and other people's glory, other people's recognition, not your own. The whole idea in this context, as we are trying to become opportunity specialists, is to walk in love. That's it. Here's some practical suggestions. I have five for you, and I think they're memorable. Quickly, we'll go through them. Look for chances. Let me suggest to you this. When you wake up in the morning, maybe even consider saying a prayer. God, what opportunities will be there for me today? And look for them. See if there's an opportunity. It can, do, it can happen in a church setting like this. When we go out and we do a little fellowship in the lobby, instead of bolting for your car, linger and look around. 
Is there someone that might need you? You, you think this way. Lord, is there someone that might need me? That's a little prayer you can say this morning. Am I here for a reason I don't know about? Have you put someone in front of me, in my path? Is there someone that needs to be in my path? Do I need to go walk in front of them? I suggest to you, look for chances. Wherever you may be, look for those chances that you could be an opportunity specialist. I'm sure, since we're all Christians, none of us believe that things are coincidental. That God has a plan and a purpose, even for you being here this morning. So look for those chances. How is he going to use me? Lord, how are you going to use me this morning? Let the Spirit move. Sometimes you think those thoughts. Somebody comes to mind. Maybe you see their name in a, in a church program, or maybe it, it, you see it written down somewhere, or it's in a prayer request uh, that you wrote down. Somehow, someway, somebody's image comes to mind. Maybe you hear somebody's voice. You just think something reminds you of someone. Why not take that moment, first of all, and say a prayer for that person? Think a positive thing. Figure, think of something about that person that you thank God for them. And don't for a minute think that that moment where they're in your head and in your heart happened all because of you. The Spirit is moving. Why did that person come to mind? Why am I thinking about that person? Why am I in front of that person? Let the Spirit move. And learn from mistakes. Have you missed opportunities? I've surely missed so many. Times when I didn't plan things very well. I didn't think about the, what I was doing now, how it was going to affect me in a few. I didn't plan very well. I messed up. I blew opportunities. Learn from your mistakes. And live with purpose. We're not here by accident. You are here on purpose. What are you supposed to be doing? Well, I've got to go to work. I've got to go to school. I've got to fix lunch when, when church is out. I've got to go run some errands. Those are secondary. We have a grander purpose, and you specifically have a grander purpose in this life. And if you're going to be an opportunity specialist, then you're going to try to be thinking, what is it God's wanting me to do right now? What is it I'm supposed to be seeing? How can I be encouraging other people? How can I make the most of this opportunity that's coming up for the glory of the Lord? And the last thing is love with strategy. We all could work on thinking about the consequences of our words and actions. But could we take it a step further if we're going to be opportunity specialists? Could we actually look for opportunities to love other people? Could we actually try to help things along in our part in loving other people? 
Everything we do ought to be about loving other people the way Christ loved us. And so why wouldn't we try to calculate? And we're not going to be able to figure it all out, but we can figure out ways that we can try to show people that we love them. If we just go through life doing the mundane things as our little purposes, little things in life, without thinking about the grander scheme of things, how is this going to bring glory to the Lord? as I try to love other people? How can I love that person more? What can I do beyond prayer? How can I make sure that I am used as a vessel of the Lord? I want to I be strategic. I've shared with you some of those things in the past that I try to do myself. Because me, I, I've got things to do. I've got places to go and people to see, and i got to pick up something at the store. It's a whole lot more convenient to go to the automatic self-checkout because the line is long where there's actually a person at a cash register. But I can't, I can't save a computer. <laughs> I, can, I can interact with humans and maybe give a little bit of love. I certainly would find it more convenient to go to the fuel pump and just pay there rather than interact with another human. I certainly could do better just go through the drive-thru rather than go inside and deal personally one-on-one with someone. And I certainly could just pay for my stuff and leave without having an actual personable conversation. I could say the things we say on the surface, you know, how you doing? Fine. You? Fine. And be done with it. We did it. We greeted people the way people greet people. Or I could go a little bit further with that. See how it plays out. So people treating you okay today? Love with strategy. And then we could be altogether opportunity specialists. It's all about this theme. Walk in love. If the church can't figure it out then the world doesn't have a lot of hope. People of God, it's our duty to love the way Christ loved. So that's the call this morning, to walk in love. If you need to make a decision, the opportunity is before you. Let the Lord work on you. I'm going to let the Lord work on me. I hope you'll join me in that. If you need to make a decision, we welcome you to come forward, talk to God right where you are, or simply... Join us in singing our song of decision. Let's all stand and sing.